Welcome to the EMS Handout, your source for all things EMS. And now, let's welcome to the show your hosts, Bradley Dean, Eric McCullough, and David Blevins. Hello and welcome to the EMS Handoff Podcast with my co-host, Bradley Dean. This is David Blevins, and we are your source for all things EMS. Just us riding solo tonight, so let's go ahead and jump straight into this. Bradley Dean, another week. Uh, you know, uh, how are things going over in uh, North Carolina? Uh, good. Spent a lot of time out in the sun this week, um, which is why I'm a little burnt, especially at the top of my head. Uh, I, I don't know if for those of y'all watching on YouTube right now, you can see, especially against this uh, white Pursuit Company uh, EMS handoff hoodie. Uh, we were actually out on the lake uh, today as well. And so I have my sunglasses on and got a little bit of the raccoon eyes going on, uh, you know, but uh, it just means having fun. It's summer and the sun. It, uh, it wasn't that bad out here uh, today. And we ended up coming back off the lake a little bit early because there was some storms seemed like it was coming through. So we grabbed some food and, and we had to get back in time to record the EMS handoff podcast, but we're, uh, Caught a little bit of the MLB draft, trying to see how many Tennessee players got taken. Bradley, it's a little sad. We're about twenty deep, and none of them got taken. So a little sad there. Well, when they learn to play, maybe they'll get drafted. Ouch! You know, spent you know three fourths of the season as number one team in the nation, and uh, just one game will, uh, or I guess really two games will uh, cut that uh, cut that short for you. So trying to cut a squirrel finds a nut. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Well, on that, before we get uh we before we get any further, we're we'll go we'll go ahead and get into this EMS topic instead of baseball. But uh, you know, we'll have to see. You know, coming up, rising back up in football, rising up back in basketball, rising up in baseball. And uh Bradley can't say anything else at this point now, so I'll just stop right there. So all right. Well, first off, before we get started, we'd like to thank our podcast partner, the Journal of Emergency Medical Services. Jim's been a great partner since we started the EMS handoff. And since we're rebooting as well, great uh, give there. But while EMS handoff serves as your source for all things EMS and the podcast first, go over to Jim's for everything else. They are your source for everything else EMS that you can't get through this. And also go and you can check all of our previous episodes from the EMS handoff, uh, 53 other episodes at this point in time of high quality content, uh, mischievousness and whatever else we can get into. Uh, and so uh, make sure to go by and check them out, gems.com uh, and see what else uh, they've got going on. Bradley, uh, it's just us tonight. We're going to do a little round table and uh, some um, controversial topics. I, I'm going to start off and saying, but uh, and then some that probably none of us wish we would uh, say ever again. But you know, we we talked last week about coming out of COVID nineteen. Um, even as right now the numbers are uh, once again kind of fluctuating as they are. And as I mentioned last week, my mother showed or told me she was positive, and uh, 
she is getting over her symptoms, but uh, we're going to kind of go into another uh, area. So uh, I'm going to let you kick this one off. I want to take the next topic. So let's get into emerging emerging infectious diseases. Uh, unfortunately, um, we've been dealing with some some issues across the country with the emergence of, of monkeypox. So that's probably one of the things that we, we need to talk just a little bit about um, as we start diving into emerging infectious diseases. You know, we've had uh, Ebola, then we've had COVID. Now we've got this whole thing with with monkeypox. Um, and you know, one of the one of the things to look at is, is we've actually got a case local where I am that uh, we've been following a little bit. And uh, across the country, as of Friday, uh, there were uh, 1,470 cases across the United States with 11 of those in North Carolina. Um, I don't know what the case count is in Tennessee, but uh, starting to get a little concerning uh, with the spread. And anytime we have a transient population, um, people who are able to travel and uh, do a lot of social interaction, you always get the possibility of, of spreading some type of uh, virus or bacterial stuff. Well, and I, I think a lot of people need to take a, a look. Uh, you know, monkeypox is not something that is new. It's something that's been around. In fact, there's uh, vaccines for it, but it's it's something that uh, you know is pretty much basically eradicated. We didn't see it anymore, and and now we're starting to see it again. Is that correct? Yes, and the whole part of this is we're not sure exactly where monkeypox you know started, but you know, believe that it was probably started with a type of rodent transmission over to monkeys and then became prevalent in the population. And then at some point, you know, anytime that you have a disease vector and uh, there's animals or mosquitoes or anything else, it eventually will cross into the human population, uh, which is what happened with monkeypox. And then while we haven't seen a lot of it in the United States, now we've got uh, basically an endemic uh, issue here uh, where we start to see this in, in certain populations. I, first off, for some of our listeners, you know, it is something that's kind of interesting. And uh, so, you know, we just talked about uh, literally talked about the pandemic for the, the last basically two and a half years. And now you use the term endemic. Let, let's go. Let's go into a little bit of detail between pandemic and endemic. So, you know, endemic, you know, basically some type of disease or condition that's rarely found among a particular uh, group of people or, or in a certain area. Um, primarily talking about monkeypox here. Uh, when we start uh, looking at monkeypox, uh, right now, typically the spread that we're seeing is uh, basically has been uh, the large proportion of, of what we see right now is cases among men who have sex with men. And, and at, at some point, you know, it's going to cross, you know, various types of, of individuals, whether it's, you know, heterosexual, homosexual, you know, whatever. And as that does it, it's because of, of prolonged contact. Like I said, doesn't necessarily have to be sexual contact, but you know, if you've got face-to-face contact for greater than six hours, um, any contact with uh, body fluids from an individual who has monkeypox, um, there are, is some thought that it could be uh, droplet transmitted uh, in various you know, portions of the disease process. So, that's what we're talking about when we say endemic. Uh, so when we say pandemic, uh, that's prevalent over a whole country or over the entire world. So the difference between what we're seeing with COVID and with monkeypox is, is we've got this pretty much isolated to one group of individuals. It can become a pandemic 
um, and across you know other other groups. Um, so right now we're looking at an endemic issue with monkeypox. And so as you mentioned, you know cases as of uh, now. As of the release of this, that's uh, been about two weeks uh, old, uh, looking at about uh, just shy of 1,500 cases. So you can take a look. So, you know, if anytime we're talking about diseases like this, you know, individuals can go to Center for Disease Control, find out uh, some of the information. And this is uh, no different. You can go to cdc.gov forward slash pox virus forward slash monkeypox. Uh, and you can get into uh, the information about this. And so when we're talking about viruses, you know, let's talk about the signs and symptoms and kind of seeing uh, what we could possibly uh, encounter on the EMS side. So what does it look like uh, if you are possibly seeing a case of monkeypox in your area or may, may be dealing with a case of monkeypox? Well, the symptoms of monkeypox can include a fever, headache, uh, muscle aches, backache, uh, swollen lymph nodes, chills, exhaustion, uh, a rash that can look like you know pimples, blisters on, on the hand, face, uh, inside the mouth, as well as other parts of the body like um, the chest, genitals. Uh, the rash goes through different stages uh, before healing completely. So uh, it may have you know pustules that that are leaking a little bit of fluid, then they scab over may look a little bit like chicken pox, um, only they're isolated to one part of the body at first, whereas, you know, chicken pox is typically because of, uh, you're going to find it breaking out somewhere along the belly or somewhere else first, whereas this typically is going to be a uh, isolated rash, and then it'll spread to the hands and other parts of the body. The incubation so period for this, um, 7 to 14 days, but could be, you know, can range from 5 to 21. So a lot of times when we're talking about our assessments of our patients back in the ambulance, we're talking, uh, you know, hey, what is your recent medical history? And so if we're talking about this, you know, we need to get back into, hey, have you been in contact with anybody? As you mentioned, as of right now, this is a prolonged exposure. So do you know of anybody that may be experiencing other signs and symptoms like this? Uh, that I, I know that range. Uh, we always talk about viruses being in that 7 to 14 day range. Uh, but it can be a little bit shorter or a little bit longer. And it usually is based on what your um, underlying wellness level is as to how long that uh, will usually take. Uh, so get into those conversations about, uh, you know, basically anywhere from about five to 21 days prior to this incident. Um, could it manifest, you know, what we're, what we've talked about, as you mentioned with those, uh, signs and symptoms that a uh, patient may experience, could these individuals be dealing with a life-threatening emergency associated with monkeypox? Well, anytime that you have them on the inside of the, the mouth, that's always a little bit concerning. But most of the time, um, individuals that have this are, are going to be experiencing you know, some type of pain, some type of uh, other issues that's just really uncomfortable. Unless, in fact, you know, a body system, uh, for example, a respiratory or something else, they're probably going to recover from this and, and be fine. Um, right now, uh, because of the history of it, we haven't seen a whole lot of deaths or anything with monkeypox in the past. So uh, most individuals are going to be able to recover from this. It's just not uh, a comfortable condition. 
So the biggest thing is, is if, uh, if they do experience this, they don't, uh, they're, they're not uh, taking care of themselves. They may end up, you know, anytime we deal with a virus like this, it has the potential to affect uh, them going into sepsis even potentially. But uh, so let's, let's talk about the healthcare provider themselves uh, dealing with something like this. Uh, you know, we're well-versed in wearing a tremendous amount of personal protective equipment. You know, I, I remember when uh, the, the job came on, basically it was wearing gloves and that was the only thing you dealt with. And uh, at that point in time, people still ripped the finger out of the index uh, or uh, ripped uh, the glove off the index finger so they could palpate for a, a suitable uh, vein. And, uh, you know, now uh, what we think about is personal protective equipment may be a little bit different. So when we're talking about monkeypox, what in, you know, we have a high suspicion that we're dealing with a patient that may be infected with monkeypox. Um, what are we looking for as far as personal protective equipment? You know, one of the biggest things is you know, wear your gloves. Um, and should you go ahead and put on an N95 mask? There's nothing wrong with putting a surgical mask over that, just like we've been doing with COVID. Um, gloves, gown, that way you're avoiding any uh, you know, body you know, substance that might be um, sprayed or, or spread as you're lifting, moving the patient. Um, and eye protection. You know, just the basic things that you should be doing for, you know, some trauma patients or any other patient that may have, you know, the, the potential to splash or spill body fluids uh, while you're dealing with them. And then, you know, if you are exposed to one, you know, make sure you monitor yourself, you know, for fever, chills, uh, swollen lymph nodes or anything else that might develop, you know, following the post-exposure and follow up with your healthcare provider. So key thing with this, uh, you know, tons of lessons learned from COVID-19. Uh, and now as we start to see different things that are out there, you know, EMS uh, is going to be, you know, with the front, you know, we have, we have shown ourselves as a front line of healthcare uh, in the country with everything COVID related and uh, what we've been doing and same it holds true for monkeypox. So if you do have that experience, uh, make sure and take care, protect yourself and, and be ready for those patients. So any last words on monkeypox, Bradley Dean? Wear your PPE. That's the biggest thing. Where, uh, you know, and I think this is good to kind of mention, you know, as we see the numbers right now, and, uh, you know, we're sitting at those just shy of 1,500 cases based on the time we recorded this. You know, I think that it's important to kind of take a look at uh, what we're dealing with. Um, you know, you take a look at the numbers, you know, something like Ebola as well. You know, it has a, it has the potential for being a bad outbreak. It depends on, the, the mutations and stuff like that. And so it's the idea is, is to keep an eye on your, your state numbers, your local numbers uh, on any effect in, in emerging infectious diseases. You know, I think that's one of the things that we have ex encountered is, you know, when you take a look at the WHO and some of the others uh, you know, they, they rate different diseases uh, as you know, whether they're emerging or whether they're viruses of concern Um viruses of interest, you know, there, there's very specific categories. And now, you know, that surveillance is being done uh, at our community levels as well. So, you know, tap into that. If, if you're a director, uh, be in touch with those individuals, uh, get some of this information and pass it out to your providers. Hey, you know, for, for you, 
you, Bradley, as you mentioned, you know, your county has identified a case within that area. So it is good to pass that on. Um, we don't need to overreact and tell everybody, hey, uh, every patient you're on, you need an N95 and you need to put a level A hazmat suit on. But uh, but the, the idea is there to be cautious because the uh, data collectors, basically, each one of our providers can say, hey, I just potentially ran a, another um, uh another case so uh definitely something big that we need to keep an eye on uh keep that surveillance going keep talking about everything uh with your with from your providers your providers should be comfortable enough uh to bring that information up to their supervisory staff and over to the health department and then then vice versa so next uh next we're going to shift gears just a little bit and go into a recent rev, uh, resolution that was passed by, or sorry, that, that is put out currently for public comment. And we're wanting to go ahead and mention this because that public comment period, it will be coming to an end pretty soon. But the National Red Street Resolution, 22 Resolution uh, 13, is one in which, um, and I'm just going to read part of the language here, uh, ultimately, uh, National Registry acknowledges the quality EMS education is uh, those interconnected, interdependent uh, components, uh, external validation, and multiple other uh, aspects. But ultimately, they have seen the level of uh, staffing shortage and are, are looking at different ways. And so they're rolling back an initiative that they did many years ago in which uh, any paramedic uh, that was seeking national registry, whether it was uh, on their own volition or as part of the state, like we have here, uh, they would have to attend a paramedic program that was accredited by uh, the Committee on Accreditation uh, and KHEP. The accreditation is actually awarded by KHEP and, and reviewed uh, by the Committee on Accreditation. And this backs that down to any KHEP accredited uh, inst institution and the process of a, with a letter of review or a state approved institution. And um, this would expand the opportunities uh, for different entities to um, get into the educational realm. So they, if you take a look at the landscape of uh, this topic, and there's many different individuals, uh, individuals and organizations that are tied to this, uh, I know the National Association of EMS Physicians is working on a, uh, a comment. The uh, International Association of Firefighters, Fire Chiefs, EMS Organizations, uh, National Association of EMS Educators, uh, you know, they're all uh, positioning and placing comments. And National Association of EMS State Officials has uh, been involved as well. And so one of the things that we are seeing with this is the question we have a perceived staffing shortage in the EMS currently, and what are we going to do to get that uh, back up? And um, the thoughts with this is if you build it, they will come. So the more agencies that you have out there teaching, uh, the more applicants that we're going to get. And uh, so the question is, Bradley, um, what are your thoughts? Because uh, I know you have... You've been on the education side, you've been on the service side, and uh, you have also been on the uh, accreditation side. So 
what thoughts do you have, Bradley, on on this resolution? Well, uh, I think one of the first things we probably need to look at is what is accreditation? Um, and accreditation basically takes a look at the process in which a program goes through to document uh, you know, what they do, how they do it, um, and validation of the, the tests and making sure they review all of their stuff. So, so that's the direction that accreditation goes. When you look at that, I will say that accredited education is credible education. Um, and while I understand why they did the resolution, I don't think we have a shortage of providers um, throughout the country. I think we have a shortage of providers who are willing to work for low pay and poor working conditions. And I think that kind of gets into the, the next topic that we're uh, uh, getting ready to get into as well. Uh, talking about the retention side, because I, I absolutely think uh, that is part of the, the larger issue. And so, you know, we, we take a look at this um and the state of Tennessee has been kind of doing, uh, you know, working with this uh, through the legislature and, and introducing uh, a new ways for EMT and advanced EMT or the pathways to get into the to get into the profession. Um, and we have expanded the training centers uh, for those levels. And one of the things that we're still experiencing is uh, a, a shortage of applicants to work in the field. And I, I would have loved, I, I need to capture this and see if I can find it. I wish I would have at the time, but somebody did a study uh, recently. Uh, you know, I talked about it anecdotally for many, many years that when I first got into the profession, the average lifespan of an EMT was about five years. If you couldn't get them to progress onto the paramedic side by that point in time, you were going to lose them. Uh, when I took this position that I'm in now, uh, we saw those uh, EMTs in about the three-year window. Uh, and if we didn't capture them or get them to the paramedic level within that point in time where they have, for lack of a better term, more skin in the game uh, with, the, with the time and education. And uh, like you said, we'll, we'll talk about it with salaries and stuff like that. Um, we would lose them at that point. And uh, this, this uh, study that was done, and I, I apologize, I'll try to get it for the show notes, but it actually talked about the national uh, average was about eight months now for an EMT. And I think one of the things you got to take a look at is in our area, Bradley, we talk about EMS having a shortage, but right now healthcare in itself has issues. You know, there's a, there's a staffing issue at, uh, physicians. There's a staffing issue with nurses. I, I saw one area that was actually paying physicians, uh, I think it was $122. That's what's sticking in my head. $122 an hour to actually work nursing shifts uh, on the top of their rotations as a physician because they were so short. And one of the things we're seeing in our area is many institutions are actually hiring paramedics to work full scope of practice in a hospital's emergency department to identify some or to offset some of their shortage. <clears throat> so as you mentioned, you know, it's not whether that we have a shortage 
It's where, where are they? And, and, you know, in talking, that's, that's one of the things we, we have a tremendous amount of numbers, but are they working? And, uh, and on the flip side, we have several that are uh, looking to the, looking to leave the profession altogether. But so with this resolution, if we scale back and, and as you mentioned, the accreditation and anybody that's been involved with accreditation will tell you, you know, it's a pain in the butt. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff, but one of the things it does is makes you take a look at, are you doing things right? I, I just got done with a book and uh, it's called Trust-Based uh, Trust Based Leadership uh, by Mike Etori. And he asks three questions of his people. What are we doing that we shouldn't be? What are we not doing that we should be? And what are we doing that we should be doing better? And I think that that's the question of, of those processes. You know, when you're on the academic side, you know, the, the question isn't about whether we need to get this person through because of the numbers out there. We, we're going, is this person qualified? Is this person capable? Is this person competent to do the jobs that they're, they're tasked to do? And so the question is, if we scale this back and it uh, opens up the opportunity for more uh, paramedic education programs out there that may uh, or may not be in uh, following the same standards of accreditation. Does that help where we are? I really don't think that it helps where we are. I think we run into the issue of, uh, well, first of all, let me, let me just put out there a couple of things about, about accreditation. Um, I think it's a positive move. For, for the profession and the right direction we need to go in order to, to gain the, the recognition and allied healthcare programs. Uh, but the, some people say, well, it doesn't produce a other clinician. Accreditation has nothing to do with, with what comes out the other side other than documenting and, and showing that they have a consistent way of doing it. What comes out the other side is a direct reflection of the faculty of the program and how much a program puts into it. Accreditation overall, I think, moves us forward as far as the profession and promotes continuous quality improvement as part of that process to make a program better. So I don't know that that going back to saying, well, if it's a state-approved program, it is going to benefit anybody uh, because I, I can tell you, for example, in, in, in North Carolina, and I don't want to speak for our educators or our association, but I can tell you, I don't think we're going to back down from having to have accredited programs because we just rewrote some of the administrative code in North Carolina to reflect that they have to have KHAP accreditation. If I look at what's across the country in some of the states and their recommendations for what I have to have in order to open up or start a paramedic program, minimal equipment, minimal faculty, minimal documentation, is all I would have to have. I could take what I have in my car right now um, and a couple of mannequins and I can open up a paramedic program somewhere by this. And we've, and we've seen some of those locations, uh, you know, in our area, uh, Bradley, we, we have had uh, some institutions, not necessarily on the EMS side, but in healthcare education in general, they came in and uh, they, bring in a variety of programs, they get approved and uh, they start educating and, uh, you know, they, they do all these uh, different um, 
programs themselves. And then next thing you know, they uh, close their doors and leave individuals out without um, a completed program. And, uh, you know, we've actually taken some of those individuals in uh, and finished them up uh, so that, so that they weren't out. And so, you know, we, when you take some of these and, you know, that would be one of the things that I would look at is, uh, you know, what is the viability of some of those? You know, the big thing is, like you said, just taking the things that you have and having a program. Well, if you don't have the resources to continue what you need to do, uh, you know, and, and, and being viable without finding more and more money, um, you know, you close the door and then it doesn't do anybody any good. So um, I, I think I think one of the things that anybody in EMS education um, on any way should take a look at what this resolution is. Uh, don't look at it emotionally. Uh, you know, we, we have, you know, we're getting ready to talk another topic here. Um, we are starting to see more people applying to come back into the programs, um, which has been an issue during COVID. And we'll see that staffing come back up. There's a lot of things that we need to do, but, uh, you know, continue on, you know, we, we want to make sure that everybody's out there that, you know, when, when I come through with my family, if something happens to us, we, we've got the best care possible. So make sure before that comment period is up uh, to go to the National Registry and, and put your comments in there. Uh, you know, that's one thing public comments are for. They're not for uh, organizations uh, like uh, uh, large groups like I talked about earlier. It's meant for everybody, Bradley, myself, uh, Eric. Uh, anybody that's listening to this, go in and put your comments and they'll collect those, review those and, and make a final uh, input. So third and final topic tonight, Bradley, we've already we already started getting into it. We should have almost done this one first and then talked about registry. Uh, but uh, retention, I, I think this is uh, very, very unique. Um, everybody's talking about we have a recruiting problem right now. We don't have enough people coming through the doors. And uh, I think recruiting is only one small facet of our overall concern. We, we've got to get more people coming in. But if we have people leaving the back door or, or quitting um, at a rate faster than we can bring them in the front door, it's not a recruiting problem, it's a retention problem. So it, tell, me, tell me I'm wrong there. Convince me I'm wrong. I, I can't convince you you're wrong because I mean the days are long, just rough, and uh, sometimes it just doesn't seem worth it. <laughs> so right now, you know, so um, in 2018, I believe it was, uh, there was a study that was done by the Georgia. Uh, it was actually written as a doctoral dissertation by now. I believe it's now the director of EMS for the state of Georgia. Um, it was funded by the Georgia Trauma Foundation, which is actually pretty cool. The guy got his uh, basically his doctoral uh, dissertation uh, funded, um, which, which is pretty neat. But the individual uh, that, that wrote this dissertation um, basically cleverly titled the Georgia EMS Workforce Study. And the individual went through and talked to any individual that is either A, leaving the profession or 
switching from employer to employer. And his ultimate role was to take a look at what all was were the reasons why individuals were leaving the profession. And I think it was quite interesting, you know, why they're leaving. Um, and it would actually be inter more interesting now to note when, um, now that we've gone through COVID, if the, all of those still exist, you know, even though it was only four years ago, I actually think that uh, uh, some of the causes would be more uh, pronounced, but I think they may be a little bit different now. But, you know, one of the things we talked about, and you've already made mention, is money. But it was quite interesting that in this study, the Georgia EMS Workforce Study, and you can Google that and go to all of his uh, documents, um, money was actually sitting in like the second or third place for most individuals. I think it went down as far as fourth. And, you know, so I think we're at a transformative part in EMS and, you know, Tennessee, uh, we're, we're celebrating our 50th year of EMS, but when we talk about healthcare, you know, we're still basically, uh, kind of the, uh, pubescent, uh, family member within uh, the healthcare profession. We're, we're in the point that we're trying to find exactly where we are. And I think that's one of the things that has uh, been ex uh, causing some of these problems. So as we take a look at it, you know, identifying that EMS is uh, one of the forefronts, it's, you know, the essential uh, portion of healthcare. Um, and being recognized as that, uh, but yet while we're running short staff, these individuals are running call after call after calls. So how do we start to address or identify the retention issues within our agencies and how do we go about starting to correct that, Bradley? Well, I mean, I think there are a couple of things that we've got to look at is, you know, one, you know, somebody goes to work for somewhere, you know, they're usually fine in a position but they're always looking for advancement. So career is a universal reason to tend to move on. If they can't grow. And so for those, uh, those of you listening, Bradley and I are going back and forth just a little bit, uh, but uh, he has got a storm that is rolling through his area. I think they were here just a little bit ago. And so he's a, uh, I was about to say Bradley was a little bit unstable as he pops back on here, but his internet connection is a little bit unstable <laughs> and that may just uh, identify some of his instability, but that's a different story. Go ahead and finish where you're at. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, you know, we were talking about career advancement, you know, so um, that's usually one of the universal things and reasons that people tend to move on. Um, so if uh, they can't grow where they are, they're going to go somewhere they can't. So career advancement, mental health and stress and anxiety, um, is another huge thing talking about, you know, my stability. Um, so it, it's not for everybody. Uh, we've got to make sure that people coming in the front side as we're recruiting them have, have some resiliency uh, to be able to work in the profession and move forward. Uh, so, you know, making sure you've got a good EAP program uh, and the, someone for people to, to kind of relate to and talk to um, after difficult calls. Well, I, I then, think uh, I think one of the things you mentioned there, if you if you don't mind, there, uh, uh, it actually just came out here recently. One of the things that we have to do is set expectations, kind of where they are. And um, on on June twenty second, this is in uh, this is actually an EMS one, but uh, 
Daniel Swester wrote uh, an article entitled Toxic Heroism, The Perfect Storm in EMS Recruitment. And I think this is something that we kind of have to talk about in that, you know, while even though during the COVID pandemic, we were used for a lot of uh, life-threatening emergencies, one of the things is, is day after day, we're not running lights and sirens to hang off the side of cliffs, upside down cars, um, shooting, stabbings, all that. You know, we spend a, much of the time transferring patients back and forth, uh, making sure they get to that. You know, we're the gatekeepers of a lot of healthcare, getting them to dialysis appointments or doctor's appointments or, you know, some other level of care. Um, and so if we let the expectation be known, you know, the loud cranked music, uh, running up and down the streets, jumping off the side of buildings, et cetera, then you're going to lose a lot of people when they realize, hey, that's not exactly what we do. Yeah, and I mean, so that that whole piece of it is, is you're right. Um, so we've also got to look at we're not always paid for what we do. We're paid for what we may be asked to do. And, and, you know, this, you know, I, I know if we have some of our directors listening, you know, there's going to be a lot of them that, that say, you know, Hey, we only get paid if we do this, you know, right now, as we were talking about just a minute ago, there's a lot of things that are changing from mobile integrated healthcare and, um, or community paramedicine. We're talking, you know, but, uh, the ET3 side, the, the treat in place, uh, or the alternative, destination uh, guidelines going to, you know, urgent care clinics or standalone EDs or even to doctor's offices versus going to the emergency department. They're like, Hey, we get paid when you take them to the emergency department. So don't just treat them and release them. Cause we don't, we don't get paid for that or don't take them here. Cause we don't get paid for that unless it's a uh, pre-approved transfer and those kind of things. And so, you know, this is where we've got to get creative and start working with, everybody to to make sure that we're funded to do what we do we're not a taxi service uh, we still sit under NHTSA uh, in uh, the the transportation safety administration but uh, you know we we are a healthcare entity uh, delivering medicine in austere environments and uh, should be funded this that way as well yeah and and you mentioned another thing, you know, I hear more grumblings around the water cooler and the coffee pot about documentation. You know, so we know that, you know, people hate to document. They, you know, that is a huge downfall of the job, but that's how we bring uh, funds back in. That's how we pay for equipment. You know, so our, our personnel have to understand how important that documentation is. And I, but I think, you know, again, we tend to lose people because of that. They go to other professionals and they're like, oh, you you know, the documentation of nursing is, is just as cumbersome. Absolutely. And for those of you all that haven't, make sure to go back and check out our documentation. I think I was with Jason. Uh, we went through quite a bit and talking about, you know, what is, what are the different ones and what does it take for that? And, you know, I, I can tell I can tell you this, you know, having several uh, personal friends and we all do, but, several friends that are physicians and they'll tell you the worst thing they have to do is the amount of documentation that they have to do every day. Um, but they have to do it. And if they don't, you know, they don't get reimbursed uh, either. And, you know, I, I think, you know, when, 
you know, you kind of mentioned the gossip side and that's one of the most interesting sides. We, we've had quite a few conversations about that is, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, I, I can take five extra minutes and do this and we can get funded better. And then maybe this comes about and we can get that, this, that, or the other. So. So. All, all right. So our EMS roundtable tonight, we we had three uh, really good topic areas. I, I, I personally think, you know, uh, first and foremost, emerging infectious diseases, uh, you know, be prepared with monkeypox. Then we talked about National Registry and re then retention. So Bradley Dean, any last thoughts for you today? The biggest thing I would say is wear your PPE, provide your public comment to the National Registry. And then the last thing is, is build your personal resiliency and help your uh, fellow co-workers. Quick and easy. That, like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm going to add on to that. You know, keep eye on what's going on in your, your area. It may not be monkey pots. We may be coming into your flu season or RSV season or something. And, you know, the, the better we are in our, um, this, uh, disinfecting, um, you know, we, we talked about the back of the ambulances and, uh, you know, we wiped certain things down, but through COVID, hopefully we've gotten a little bit better, uh, but talk to your health departments and find out what's emerging in your area. Go to the CDC or the WHO and find out what's, uh, going on and what areas, um, know what's, uh, uh, the, the disease of, of interest and, uh, concern, uh, there, there's many things out there. And then I, I absolutely, you know, there are things that are asked for public comment regularly. Uh, National Registry is one right now. So go take a look at 22 Resolution 13 and uh, give your public comment. But uh, note that there are many different things out there that are asked about. Um, one of the things I'm talking about at a conference this week is, is scope of practice uh, or the education standard updates and, and scope of practice. And, you know, those documents um, are are sent out for public comment before they ever get released. And sometimes they uh, those public comments lead to changes before a final document or final draft. Sometimes they don't. Um, so uh, don't be discouraged as an EMS provider. Take interest. Uh, talk to some others, get some people together. Uh, if a group of you come together, right, that is your group, uh, but make sure and comment and, Hey, find ways in your area to, to make sure and, and retain your people. There, there are many different ones out there. Take a look at the workforce study. Uh, it references some others that are out there. Um, but, uh, keep an eye out for your brother and sister there. There's many different things that we can do. So, as we conclude this week, we always like to say that we love recording these episodes. We don't always know what you're thinking. So please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on the GEMS platforms, but also on YouTube for us as well. Uh, go to our Facebook page. It's probably one of our most active areas. Uh, and find us at the EMS Handoff on Facebook. You can also find us on the web at uh, emshandoff.com. And you can reach out to Bradley and I through our socials that you can find on those uh, sources as well. Don't forget to go by the Pursuit Company and purchase some of our EMS handoff apparel. Our Keep Back podcast line is probably our most popular. Uh, but like I've got our hoodie on and I'm middle of summer, but I got a hoodie on. I uh, just decided to wear it today. But uh, get our original logo stuff. Go on there, click shop, scroll down, and you'll see all of the uh, EMS handoff gear on there as well. 
So from Bradley, Eric, and I, take care, stay safe, and always remember the value of your EMS handoff.